1: Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Today's focus is what makes for a great leader. And a heads up, maybe it isn't the same as what made for a great leader 10 or 20 years ago, or maybe it's got a lot of similarities. Now, no doubt, somewhere along the line in your career, you've probably experienced a leader that you thought was inspirational or at least admirable. And what we want to look at is what are the common elements or behaviors that those leaders exhibit? What is it they do? What is it that distinguishes them? And what's this thing called agility got to do with it to steal a popular line? And we also, as I said, want to talk about what has changed in terms of what we expect from our leaders today. So with me today is Chuck Moeller. Chuck is a CEO, executive coach, and an advisor in NG Partners, specializing in leadership and talent optimization. In aligning business and people strategy for maximum fabulous, awesome results. And the book that we're talking about today is his new and best selling book. It's called The Rise of the Agile Leader Can You Make the Shift? It's an Amazon number one best selling book in management. Um, Chuck is an expert in leadership effectiveness. He's a former Harvard Business School executive coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, and obviously specializes in working with global executives and leadership teams, especially in really difficult times, like in rapid growth in M&A and when there's massive change. And he's done this for over 35 years across industries, from startups to Fortune 500s and including nonprofit organizations. Now, Chuck has also served on several boards, and he was was a cranberry grower owner of Ocean Spray and a fundraiser and rider for the Pan Mass Challenge, which is a 193-mile bike ride that raises funds for cancer. Chuck, it sounds like you have a full plate. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. I'm uh, happy to be here. I appreciate that introduction
1: happy to have you. I'm sort of super excited to talk about this. I always love to ask people what makes for a great leader. So I'm always interested in that conversation to help people define it or have thought about it or haven't thought about it. And I'm particularly interested in yours, this notion of the rise of the agile leader. But before we start talking about that, why did you write this book?
2: Uh, thank you for that um, That question. Um, it was a question I raised to myself and my team probably about three years ago, which is, what's the future of leadership? Uh, even before COVID, leadership had been changing pretty rapidly, and I felt that a lot of the leadership models and focus had been sort of outdated, uh, and there was nothing really fresh out there factoring in what's going on in the marketplace, globalization, uh, the, the challenges, consumer satisfaction, innovation. Can go down the whole list. And if you look at all the changes in terms of who's actually successful, what corporations and companies are part of the Fortune 500 amount of change that has happened there in the last 25 years is a really startling. So we we went on this kind of mini quest and started talking to clients and CEOs. And uh, the more we spoke and more we researched, the more we kind of came up with this, this concept of being agile as a leader. And, and that became the premise of the book. In addition, I really wanted to provide a roadmap for any leader, to how to get to that next level?
1: Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about that in great detail, but I want to back up for a minute. Sure. You say you think the models are outdated. What's outdated in your mind?
2: Yeah, I, I think a few things. I don't, and I don't want to be to, c- completely dramatic when I say that because I think a lot of leadership models uh, uh, are, are are solid and have great foundation, but but for for many of them and most of them, they haven't been updated enough. And what I mean by updated, they're not addressing uh, some of the things that leaders in, in the climate we were really before COVID, and frankly, COVID just accelerated that. And so, examples would be, um, especially now, um, how, how do you how do you really create the right work environment? How do you really manage such a complex workforce? You know, f- multiple generations, uh, virtual, hybrid, global, multiple cultures, multiple backgrounds, uh, multiple needs. Um, you know, turnover at a, at a you know, especially the last you know, we know all know the last year and a half at an incredibly rapid rate. So constant change in terms of staff. Then you think about externally all the changes with uh, innovation. The cycle of innovation is getting shorter and shorter. No matter what your business is, um, if you don't modify and and think outside of that that rudimentary box, you may not be in business uh, a year or two or three years from now. So those cycle the the, the risk of of being successful, addressing customer needs, being innovative internally, externally, are just greater than ever. So a lot of what leaders are now focusing on is not just the concept of being agile and being flexible and being able to shift quickly and adaptable, but frankly, really staying externally focused more than ever. Uh, Too many leaders today are too internally focused.
1: Right. I, I happen to agree with you on that one. In fact, I'm kind of shocked. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that What means and why you do it. One of the things, though, that I find as I look at a lot of my clients' leadership models, some of my competitors' work, not all of it, um, a lot of the popular mantra around how to lead is this notion of you make a plan, you know, you do all the stuff to vet the plan, to validate the plan, to create the plan, to get everybody on board and align behind the plan, and then you execute. And none of that accounts for the fact that the plan was probably a really good plan process and probably really useful, but most of the time the plans get chucked out the door or need to get chucked out the door really quickly. And we pretend as if leadership is linear, step one to step two to step three to step four, and I don't see it that way. Now, I'm interested in your reaction to my statement.
2: I, I completely agree with you. And that, that's really a really great articulation of one of the major issues today. You know, the whole concept of strategic planning really is thrown out the window the last few years, again, before COVID. Um, and again, COVID has just accelerated. Well, what do we mean by that? I think what I, my interpretation of your statement or where I'm coming from would be that the moment you, you execute and put together that process and put together your plan and then try to execute that plan, your plan may already be outdated. So how do you create an environment where maybe it's not about a plan anymore. Really, it's about your strategy, your mission, your purpose. And then, how do you have incremental uh, focuses to make sure you're being successful, knowing what your potential end game is going to be? When I say end game, I'm talking about potential very specific sound bites around right. growth, around innovation, around expansion, around addressing customer needs. Um, so, those things are, you have to be able to uh, create an environment where people understand what their responsibilities and roles are. But we're also constantly thinking about not what we're doing today, but what we need to do tomorrow. And, okay. and so how do you get out of the now? Because the now is important because you have to execute the now, but you have to be constantly thinking about what's next.
1: Okay. All right. So it's the notion of having a guiding principle, a purpose, a mission, a vision, whatever language you want to use there mm-hmm. that says this is what we're trying to achieve. This is what we want to be that everybody understands what that means. Yes, we have some roles and responsibilities because we need clarity. Without that, we're not going to get very far, but that everybody is trying to move towards that future state of being. And that means that there's a constant set of adaptations. Did I get that right?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. All right. So as you look at I know I've asked this in some ways, but I want to ask it again more specifically. Of all the leaders that you work with, all the people that you've interviewed, you've talked about the complexity of the workforce. We're certainly aware of the turnover rates and the challenges of keeping people engaged and motivated and not overwhelmed. You've talked about the innovation cycle. You've talked about the number of risks. You've got the complexity of the cultures, the global environment, the you know, activism that we're seeing on a global scale. There's a whole bunch of external factors. But in terms of leaders and the problems they get themselves into, what are you seeing leaders are really struggling with?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of themes, I think, for me that comes to mind. One in particular is leaders are too involved. They're too involved in the day-to-day. They're too involved in execution, um, and what's missing in most organizations at all leadership levels, especially when you're starting getting to sort of that shift where you go from mid-level to more of a senior level, is you've got to let go of that day-to-day. you got to let go of that involvement and execution because your organization, your people need you to be focusing on the future, on the strategy, on, on, on motivation, on inspiration, on communication, on reinforcing all the right messages. Someone has to be paying attention to the organization, its people, Someone's got to make sure that how are we creating the right work environment? Um, and what I mean by that, meaning are, are they engaged? Are they motivated? Or create an environment where people can feel they can challenge a status quo, make you know, make mistakes, create failure. Because you know, one of the biggest disconnects is you can't be innovative at all if you don't fail. And, and mm-hmm. sometimes we forget about that. We, we know it early in our career, but the pressures of more responsibility, especially becoming a C-level executive... There's sometimes so much pressure, especially for public, uh, a publicly traded company, to execute. You forget about the principles of innovation. And there's a, real, there's a real sort of tension that exists in most businesses today. But the biggest challenge I see across organizations, leaders are just too involved in the day-to-day. They don't have time to think. They don't have time to be strategic. They don't have time for self-development. And they, they clearly don't have time to be really managing and motivating and developing their people.
1: So why do you think they stay so involved in the day-to-day?
2: Well, I think there's two major reasons. One, it's comfort level. I mean, that's part of one's formula for success, right? You, you became successful because you leveraged your expertise, you got results, you got things done, um, and you are the primary driver of that, maybe the solo driver of that. And as you start advancing your career, you know, all of a sudden, your, your, your success formula has to adapt, has to change. And a lot of leaders struggle with that. You know, the other primary factor is the pressure coming from above or coming mm-hmm. from investors or coming from the board or coming from, uh, you know, the CEO uh, about making sure you execute. And, and there, there has to be a level of, one, do I have the right people? Do I have the right talent? Am I going to give them an opportunity to demonstrate they can do the job? Am I going to trust versus mm-hmm. I'm going to get involved and make it happen myself? <laughs> so there is, there is this concept of letting go uh, and yeah. also trust and, de- and developing that trust.
1: I think that's, um, you're speaking music to my ears. I mean, this is the whole focus Out of the Comfort Zone podcast over all the years that we've done this. I see that as we've become a much more of a knowledge economy, more than I think we ever expected to be, that we're over-indexing on knowledge, on content knowledge, on expertise. And that people all the way through to very, very senior positions are actually still content experts in many cases and that's what's made them successful. And, you know, used to, we would give up your content expertise in your mid-career and you'd focus more on management. Today you can't afford to do that. You don't have credibility if you don't have some content knowledge. But then that tension between how much of my time am I spending on my expertise executing and how much time am I spending on all the other stuff the organization needs me to do to move forward is a hard tension to strike because the rewards are in the execution. Like I know what I did today. I know what the value is. I know, etc. cetera. I just think we're not talking enough about that tension, about how hard it is for leaders to get it straight. And hence, hence where we are today on the podcast.
2: Yeah, agreed. Completely Okay.
1: All right. Um, yeah. And there are also so many unknowns. I think sometimes it's easier to stay with uh, what's right in front of me, which is the execute as opposed to think about all that forward thinking stuff. Okay.
2: Absolutely. It's people want to stay in their comfort zone, Wanda. So that the whole, the whole notion of, of creating tension for yourself, getting out of your comfort zone, big part of what you focus on is really needed more than ever. Um, because people don't have the luxury of, well, I'm eventually going to get there because by the time you eventually get there, you may, you, you may be already out of luck.
1: Yeah, yeah. When you could have turned to things a lot, a lot earlier. All right, so let's talk about this concept of agility. Um, so you called the book The Rise of the Agile Leader and Can You Make the Shift? Now, I think we all know that agility or agile technology comes from the software industry and there's a long history in that. But what do you mean by agile?
2: Yeah, so I, we, we're using the word agile, the verb, not not agile Scrum methodology coming out of software development, which was really about how do we, uh, you know, in, in shorten the cycle of releasing the next edition of a software. That's really the principle of where agility uh, or agile, uh, you know, uh, you know, concept came from, and and that really applies now more than ever to business. There are a lot of organizations that have taken sort of this agile methodology and applied it to. How do we become agile as an organization? No longer just about software development. Um, and again, it goes back to the principles. How do we make better decisions, faster decisions? How do we empower the organization? How do we create flatter organization? Um, because one of the issues of organizations is they get bigger. And this is a factor, too, in terms of what we're talking about. You know, they, they slow down. There's more checks and balances in making mm-hmm. decisions. I know even from my work, when I work with a startup or a smaller organization, Uh, they are much more agile um, in terms of how they make decisions and how they move and how they work versus organizations that are Fortune 100 or Fortune 500, where, you know, there's a lot more checks and balances, a lot more infrastructure. And that's one of the bigger challenges of these bigger companies is how do we create that same sort of sense of urgency, that same sort of speed, uh, go to market or decision-making internally versus having so many layers of decision-making. So, um, so that's what, we, what we're we talking about. We're talking about agile, really the verb, not necessarily the methodology. Okay,
1: great. I just said recently to one of my clients who will obviously say, um, remain unnamed, and they will all know who I'm talking about, that the layers of bureaucracy they had created for very good reasons, controlling risk, controlling quality, controlling, you know, thoroughness of whatever, um, is killing people's motivation. Because you just feel like I have to check with I have to include and talk to so many people before I can ever get anything to move forward, even at the smallest level. And it's just sort of you just feel like you're wasting your time and your effort. And Rob Cross has certainly talked about this in terms of collaboration overload. So I agree with you. We our organizations could all take a lesson on how to be better faster, flatter.
2: Yeah. And the one thing I'll add to that is, you know, there are a lot of organizations more than sometimes we were realize or willing to admit that really focus on not just collaboration, but consensus. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I, I get, I get the need. And and this is a cultural thing, especially in the United States, this whole notion of, of everybody being involved and, and everyone feeling included. And I'm, I'm a huge proponent of inclusion overall in the workforce, but we're getting to a point where, we're creating disadvantages for us in terms of how we approach consensus and how we approach inclusion when it comes to decision making and involvement and input um, and it's just really hurting a lot of these organizations right now
1: yeah right yeah most leaders will say we well, got to bring everybody along along long but and that's true you do but everybody is a, a an interesting choice of words because that number of people has gotten to be too big to be manageable especially from I think from a consensus approach. Um, okay, so I get that Agile means better and faster decisions, a flatter, more empowered organization, greater sense of urgency and speed versus of layers of checking. Is that what you're looking for leaders to do, better, faster decisions, flatter organizations?
2: It's part of it. I mean, it's, it's really about how do you create the right work environment. And you have to have the right talent, but you have to have the right work environment. What I mean by right work environment, I alluded to some of it earlier. Some of it is about, do people feel they can challenge a status quo? Do people feel they can make mistakes, make errors, and be comfortable with that, not feel they're going to have their, their, you know, their hands slapped or even worse, right? And unfortunately, there's no faster way of suppressing innovation or people's ideas or thoughts or, or questions by, by suppressing that, by mm-hmm. either saying, you know, we don't have time for it or, or worse, you know, it's not necessary, it's not needed, or actually, I don't care. And, and that still happens today in organizations. So, and that just doesn't impact people feeling empowered or people wanting to bring their creativity and innovation to the table, but feeling going, people going beyond the basics of their job. So, it impacts productivity, performance, uh, people being engaged, and f- people frankly feeling, is this the right place for me? You know, do I really right. want to be here? So, when you think about the principles of turnover right now, engagement, there's a lot of great data and research out there that the more engaged your workforce is, the higher not only your productivity and performances, but most importantly for businesses, the higher financial results and output are. Yeah. Um, and, and so that correlation is still really, really critical. That data hasn't changed in over twenty years. Yeah. So there's a lot of components to agility. And so the, the creating the right work environment is really, what, to me, one of the most foundational elements of, of being agile. Okay.
1: All right. Great. I'll bite on that one, How I love this idea that I get create an environment where people challenge the status quo. Where people feel like this is the right place for them, largely because they feel like they're growing and developing, um, and that they're engaged, willing to contribute, and a host of other things. Fine, how?
2: You know, it's this. There's a lot of things so you have to have the right people. I mean, if everyone's just there, there, there are people naturally. Let's talk about behavior just for. We'll go we'll do a little bit of a deep dive into behavior. Okay. So we're, we all have essentially styles and and behavioral patterns, right? We all have. Not only leadership styles, we have personalities and how we show up. That's why some of us are attracted to be accountants, and some of us are attracted to be engineers. Some of us want to be in marketing or in sales or in operations. I mean, there's reasons why we certain choose certain career paths based upon our personalities and our interests and what motivates and drives us. So a big part of it is understanding: Do I have the right people in the right roles, so that way I can create the right work environment? So, for example, if I create every if I hire everybody that's very risk adverse. Uh, that doesn't naturally like to challenge, um, doesn't have a certain level of risk uh, built into their, their DNA from a behavioral standpoint, that's a big element of this, right? Mm-hmm. You, you just can't snap your fingers and say, okay, you're empowered and you know, go for it. Um, you have to have the right people in the right role. So, so, so that, that's a really big part of it. And then as a leader, you've got to set expectations. You've got to, going back to what we talked about earlier, what is my role going to be with this organization? Where do I get involved? Where do, where am I involved in decisions? How do I push back? Uh, a lot of leaders today are are becoming a roadblock and and are slowing down decisions because everything's going through them. We forget sometimes we're 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 conditioning our people to make decisions a certain way or, or think a certain way by how involved we are. Mm-hmm. So we really set the tone as leaders in terms of where we want to get involved what kind of questions we want to facilitate, um, and, and also the communication piece. How do we continually communicate what's our strategy, what's our vision, where we're going, how we're going to get there, and where do you get people involved in that decision-making process? Where do you get people involved in that vision? Um, so, you know, there, there's an art to this, right? It's not as black and white. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could talk about this, just this topic alone for the next hour, Wanda. So yeah. there's a lot of yeah. elements to this. I'm just going to give a couple yeah. examples.
1: I think it's um I think it's an easy I think people would agree with the general principle of statement of oh, I need to get people involved. Yes. But every leader I talk to, you know, you come into a new job and you say, Oh geez, I need time to develop the strategy and the vision for the group, whatever it is I'm leading. And that goes, as we've said, often to the back burner because the urgent yep. execute is right here and now. And there's still this belief that somehow I'm an ineffective leader if I haven't thought of the vision and strategy myself. Like that's what it means to be a leader is I can imagine the vision and strategy as opposed to, yes, you own the final decision, but there are plenty of ways of getting people involved in input to that decision that I think would be great fun for everybody. Exciting.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. And I think you're right. I think sometimes leaders put way too much pressure that they have to come up with everything, and it's the exact opposite. Our job is facilitate dialogue. Our job is to facilitate ideas, facilitate creativity, and 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 get your, and maximize the best out of your people. Going back to create that right work environment, you know, you having that dialogue, creating that that openness to say, let's talk about what the future is. Let's let's you know what do you want to call it? Brainstorming sessions or you know, we, but you have to just get out of the execution mode. There's best practices out companies out there where, uh, and these are all relatively old examples now where, you know, besides just getting together to brainstorm uh, some, some people, especially in engineers or where there's really innovation as part of your job, you have a day off to do whatever you want,
1: mm-hmm. anything
2: you want. Uh, you're yep. working, but you, it, there's no, there's no structure. There's no process, no deliverable. We just want you to think, uh, get together you know, on your own, do some research, get together some of your colleagues and brainstorm. So again, those are examples of what I mean by saying create the right work environment, but it's also an example, to your point, about as a leader facilitating those conversations, facilitating those activities.
1: Okay. All right. It certainly changes your notion of what it is you're doing in your day-to-day from monitoring the execution, checking on the OKRs, looking at the financial picture, all of which are probably important but you're adding a whole new set of my job as a leader facilitate discussion you know make sure we're thinking about innovation create the kind of work environment where people are showing up willing to challenge engaged all those sorts of things okay all right talk to me for just a minute about decision making so we all want decisions to be faster so what does a leader need to be doing to help speed up of decision-making and I get the point of get out of the way, but say a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah. And, you know, this is really an interesting conversation because there's definitely some decisions that need to be prudent and that need to be thought through um, that don't need to be too fast because sometimes we're so used to making, you know, quick decisions, shooting from the hip. Sometimes we're not taking into account some things we're not taking enough data in. Um, so th- there's a real kind of a fine line here. But mm-hmm. I think what's happening is when you're either because you're trying to get too many people involved or uh, you're too internally focused around, you know, how is this going to impact our organization? How's it going to impact structure? How's this going to impact people? And these are all good questions. But again, are we, are, we, are we thinking externally enough? Are we talking to customers enough? Are we looking at the market, the future of our business, our industry, our sector? What are markets we're trying to penetrate Know, what's, best, what's best practices? What's our competition doing? The, you know, and as much as we think that leaders are doing all those things, they are not, Wanda. I mean, I'm just telling you that leaders are not spending enough time, not only thinking strategically, but spending ex- enough time externally. They're just too internally focused, as I mentioned that earlier. So to me, yes, decisions have to be faster. Faster sometimes meaning that you're not involved. You're not involved in every decision. So as a leader, you have to figure out what decisions do I want to be involved in? Where am I going to have my people make decisions that I feel comfortable? Now, I get it. Some of us are already thinking, well, I just don't want to carte give up decision making. And I'm not suggesting that you should. Uh, I probably wouldn't be doing the same thing, even in my company. Um, but I do recognize that I need to figure out at the end of the day, where is the impact I'm trying to make for my business that's going to have the greatest impact? impact for my people, my my, my customers, and my organization and our, and, our, and our brand. And you have to translate that into where you spend your time. I have a, I have a very simple exercise I'll quickly share Great. Around, um, around time. Because time is, you know, we, you know, we all talk about time, but people are always struggling with their time. Well, yeah. an example I give to almost every single executive I work with is print out your calendar for the last three months. And yeah, sure, there'll be some outliers in there in terms of a crisis or, or, or ad hoc event that happened. but in general, your three months you're going to be pretty consistent about where you spend your time. And then categorize where you spend your time in terms of you know external versus internal, you know day-to- day tactical versus strategic time for yourself or self-reflection, self-development, you know, thinking things through, whatever, whatever categories you want to come up with. Mm-hmm. And every leader comes up typically anywhere from three to eight categories. Not one leader in at least in my 15 years, uh, when I became a coach and started my firm, has come back to me and saying, oh, I no surprises. I mean, they all come back and say, you know, I cannot believe where I'm spending my time. We all have this perception that, yes, I'm being strategic, I'm being external, I'm developing my people, I'm mentoring, I'm focusing on communication across my organization, um, all the things that you need to be doing. And most leaders, if not all, are doing very little of it. They're yeah. too involved in the day to day. They're too involved in meetings. They don't need to be involved in, and that goes back to decision making. You know, am I spending too much time in decisions I don't need to be involved in, which impacts speed of decisions.
1: That well said. I love this exercise of three months and then create your categories and just tell me how you actually are spending your time. And it, I think, it is eye opening as well. It reminds me of a story of a leader that I worked with who was heading a big function, a big global function at a large organization. And he had some major changes coming up and he sat down and said, look, there are three things that are happening in the next three years that I want my fingerprints all over because of the implications, because of the visibility, because of the long-term strategic decisions, a whole bunch of reasons, three things. But there are another 15 things that need to happen. And so what he did was make sure he had somebody who could create a plan, execute a plan, make those 15 things happen. And he said, 90% of the time I'm going to agree with the decisions they make. 10% I won't, but they're not that 10% isn't worth my deep diving into those areas given the three big things I want to make sure I have my fingerprints all over. And I just think that precision of thought of What do I need to be a part of? Where do I need to be spending my time? And why um, is kind of an important exercise for anybody who's leading.
2: Absolutely. That's really well said.
1: Okay, great. Well, this is a perfect place to take a break. My guest today is Chuck Moeller. The book that we're talking about is The Rise of the Agile Leader. Can you make the shift? Chuck is um, a CEO, an executive coach, and an advisor at MCG Partners, if you want to look him up. When we come back, I want to spend more time about this whole notion of how do we begin to create more time for that forward-looking, externally-oriented kind of stuff that Chuck has spent so much time spending talking about. And we'll be right back. group and talk about career advancement and we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive all on out of the comfort zone.com we hope you'll join us
0: if you want more information on the articles books coaching and seminars we offer go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com you're sure to find some helpful links videos and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization leadership forum helping organizations get it and keep
1: it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790 again that's 1-866-472-5790 you may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com now back to out of the comfort zone
1: welcome back to the show with me today is chuck moeller the book we're talking about is the rise of the agile leader an amazon number one best-selling book on management the notion from Chuck at the very beginning is that he believes, and I'm not, I not—I agree with him, I'm not disagreeing, that our models for leadership are, have not been updated for the kind of dynamics we find ourselves in, in today's world. And in particular, the need to focus on innovation and the cycles of innovation are so much faster than they were. So the notion of strategic planning and then execute just isn't working. Chuck would say, and I agree wholeheartedly, that too many leaders at too high levels are too involved in the execution day-to-day and not enough in that forward thinking. So, Chuck, I want to talk about this whole notion of the forward thinking that leaders need to do. Now, I'm going to contend every leader at every level. level. In fact, I'm going to contend everybody at every level needs to be doing some degree of forward-looking. I think At a minimum, people need to be aware of what's going out on the marketplace, what competitors are doing in your area, I mean, what customers like, don't like about what you're doing. There's a way in which anybody can do some forward thinking. But what I find most leaders are saying is, I have no time. I'm double and triple booked. Even when I go through and try to cut things out, I still get double and triple booked. How am I supposed to find the time? to do this. So what's your advice on how people go through and carve time?
2: Yeah, there, there's a few things. We started talking about where you spend your time and your calendar and and you know one, one step clearly is really make some difficult decisions about meetings that you frankly don't need to be involved in. And, and that's letting go. It's letting go of being involved in everything, letting go of knowing what's going on in your organization on a very tactical level. So that's definitely part of it. Another element really is you don't have to all be strategic all on your own, um, best practices, um, you know, one client in particular, the CEO has a very, very strong, very robust strategic planning uh, team where they're not just planning strategy and planning is really the wrong word here. They're just spending a lot of time in the marketplace, looking at the future, looking at innovation for the company, looking at acquisitions, looking at what's going on with customers in the marketplace and technology, uh, what's competition doing. And, and they're putting together very robust, um, you know, updates and, and information for not only the CEO but for the executive team. So again, you can you are, you know, going back to our discussion about facilitating, um, not everything has to fall on your shoulders. Again, having the right structure, having the right people, um, where again you're you're setting direction, you're setting you're setting sort of the 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 pulse of what you're trying to accomplish, and surround yourself with the right talent. Um, and understanding your strengths. I mean, we, we talk mm-hmm. about always development and development is critical, but leverage is every CEO is going to show up with a different skill set with a different level of expertise. Leverage that. You know, Focus on your strengths and your expertise and surround yourself with the expertise you need to make sure that you have what you need to be successful making decisions. And Another thing that we don't really talk about, but have a really good um, administrative support. Um, I often talk to CEOs and senior executives the difference, very often, from being good to great as an executive is having the right, you know, uh, chief of staff or administrator that's going to be there to help manage your time, manage your calendar, manage your emails, manage what meetings you're involved or not involved in. Because very often we don't have that capacity to do that on our own. So those are some some examples I would suggest. Right.
1: Right. I um, in many of my client organizations the very upper echelons will have an administrative assistant and many of them quite good. And many of them will also have a chief of staff as well. So there'll be mm-hmm. multiple levels, but as you move down from that top tier and not very far down, like just the step many no longer have um, admin assistants or they'll be sharing them with five. And one of my clients, 10 people, which means basically right. you have no support. So, What's your advice in those cases?
2: Ah, uh, well, to be sort of direct about it, change it. I mean, you're you know, when you think about the scope of your role and the scope of your responsibilities, a lot of senior executives are mini CEOs, uh, and you know, they're they're not acting that way, they're not thinking that way, and they're they're not sending to creating the right organization to support them that way. And uh, they have the power and the and you you think the ability to make that decision. So you got to take a step back and say. Do I have the right structure, the right talent, the right organization to help me be successful? Because it can't, going back to what we talked about earlier, just can't fall up on your your own shoulders. Mm -hmm. not going to be successful that way. And it goes back to changing your success formula because you've got to modify that throughout your career. Okay.
1: All right. So I got to get hold of my calendar, which means letting go. It's zeroing in on the one or two things that I really have to be involved in letting some other stuff go, Mm -hmm. getting people around who are going to do things for me and with me where I'm facilitating the conversation, not trying to do it all on my own. That puts some structure and cadence in how frequently we do this. All right. So how much time? 10%, 20%, 50% to be focused externally.
2: Yeah, I have a, I have a chart I use in, in my in my book, and of course I can't remember the details because I have no memory left. Um, but um, it actually shows kind of where you spend your time and how much is it more tactical, the management part of your job versus the leadership part of your job, and where you're being strategic. And so as you get to more senior level position, you know your your management part of your job really should become around twenty percent or less, depending on your role and how big your organization is, and how many people, and how complex. And, and a big part of your leadership job and what we're talking about, leadership and strategy part of your job is really becoming the 80%. So, uh, and again, a lot of leaders don't look at it that way, but there definitely is a shift in terms of where you spend your time as you go from lower level, mid-level to, to executive level right. and higher.
1: Right. One of the things I say to people in the organization is ask your manager or your manager's manager. How much time should I be spending on the day-to-day tasks or the content knowledge and how much time should I be spending on other things in my role like that strategic forward thinking or the collaboration out across the organization or whatever else that might be? And I think, especially if you ask managers, manager, you often get a halfway decent response from people about the percentage of time.
2: Yeah, I, I I like that suggestion, but that suggestion also has an asterisk, and what that asterisk is, unfortunately, is that your your boss or their senior people may unfortunately be spending their time incorrectly. Fair uh, enough. I Have plenty of executives, you know, that have a new CEO as an example that say, you know, wow, this is a completely different style CEO than we had before. And this is a Fortune 500 example uh, and a real example. And you know, the previous CEO was very. Uh, Well, not only did did this person create tension within the team where he wanted internal competition, but it fractured the team on some level, but he was very, very hands-off. The new CEO was much more collaborative, which is a positive, but really, really hands-on, really, really involved. So, you know, often we have to learn how to adjust and, you know, be agile to our style depending on who that CEO is, who that that executive that I'm working for. That's one of the bigger challenges, frankly, today, because all this churn, Going back to we spoke about earlier with people constantly moving in, in not only turnover organizations, but the leadership level, you know, a big part of success today is do I understand not only the expectations of my boss, but what's their style? Where what do they like to spend their time? What do they like to be involved in? Right. And how do I, without necessarily compromising my effectiveness, how do I adapt to that so that way I can create success? And how I build a relationship with my boss. Right.
1: Right. And in effect, convince your boss that you're spending time in the right ways too. There's a, there's a lot of that management as going upward. Absolutely. All right. Do you have any other advice for where people should be spending that time or how they get more externally focused?
2: Yeah. I, again, it's, it's just, it's going to be put on your calendar, you know, and I, and I, you know, it's sort of like the example of, um, you know, for those who like to be fit and like to work out, or those who've tried uh, unsuccessfully over the years, and we all had those moments, we all say to ourselves, especially in the beginning of the new year, Well, yeah, this is the year I'm going to start, you know, getting healthier, or I'm going to get fit, or I'm going to lose weight, or whatever that, that goal may be. And yeah, I'm going to start. And then it's like the week goes by, oh, I'm going to start next week. And, and in reality, you know, never, it never happens because we don't change where we spend our time. And so, going back to the calendar example, I know it's a very simple example. You have to discipline yourself to create that time. Again, best practices, most executives have blocks of time on their calendar throughout the week because you're not going to get to it in the more early in the morning before you go to work. You're not going to get to it at night. You're not going to get to it over the weekend. Uh, you, you've got to find balance in your life. You know, And I put balance in parentheses um, where you know create time on your calendar where you have time to think, to have time to be external, have time to spend time talking to customers, have time looking at competition. And also something we haven't really talked a lot about, having time for self-development. We forget that leadership is a role in itself, it's a skill, it's an area of expertise, just like any of the functional backgrounds we may have. And not enough leaders are spending time about and thinking about asking themselves the question of, what does it mean for me to be effective as a leader? You know, What do I need to do to be more effective? What knowledge, what, what skill development I need to continue to enhance? What am I missing in my toolbox as a leader? And that to me is a big part of where you're spending your time. Okay.
1: Well, I have to b- bite on that one for a minute. When you look <laughs> at leaders and you say you help them evaluate what's missing in their toolbox, what comes up more often than not? We've certainly talked about the time to reflect and the time to be forward thinking. What other kind of ideas come up?
2: Yeah. I mean, we've talked about uh, some of the big ones, right? Which is, you know, are you spending where you need to be spending your time? Are you being strategic. Are you spending enough time with your people? Um, are you establishing strong enough relationships, especially at that uh, sort of just promoted to the senior level they're, they're really focused on their organization their people and, and maybe to a sort of extent externally depending on their role but they're not spending enough time focusing across the enterprise you know mm-hmm. sometimes we forget you've got to be enterprise focused first and then secondarily your organization so that whole enterprise focus is definitely often a gap um, when you're talking about you know uh, you know uh, what's what's missing or what is there a gap in terms of leadership effectiveness Um and then, you know, another thing that we, we were talking about earlier is this whole turnover thing. You know, what are you doing to establish relationships? Relationships is becoming the last two years, especially because a hybrid virtual workforce and turnover. How do you establish trust? How do you establish relationships with not just your boss, your peers, other key people in the organization? When you're moving meeting to meeting or doing all the things that we're talking about, people are not investing enough in relationships. That to me is yeah. one of the bigger gaps right now. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we did a great job at the very beginning of COVID in fostering relationships. And then we got, I think, everybody got so task-focused to just get through the day and the volume of work that we forgot any of the nice social relationship orientation stuff that actually keeps the glue together. All right, the thing that you didn't mention and the thing I know you care about and I care a lot about is this whole notion of conflict. Mm -hmm. I believe the teams that win... The organizations that win ultimately are the ones who get good at a managing conflict. And I don't mean we go around having fights with everybody every day, but that we get comfortable having the difficult conversations where we have substantive points of disagreement and we don't paper over those disagreements because it's in that disagreement, I think, is really the grist for the next innovation, the next change that we need to focus on. What's your view and how do you think we do this in a better way?
2: Yeah, so completely agree. Um, you know, conflict is, was an issue before COVID, uh, had been for a number of years, and, and COVID just really made it worse. And for lots of reasons, because in order often to have, and there's healthy conflict versus unhealthy. So just don't make any assumptions. Mm-hmm. You and I are talking about healthy
1: conflict. Yeah, that's right. right. That's right.
2: So healthy conflict is having respectful dialogue. Uh, making sure we're not getting triggered and taking things too personally and escalating emotions, and they're all of a sudden now no longer healthy conflict. So, is being able to listen. But sometimes we think about conflict, is are we willing to listen to another person's perspective? And without getting deep into what's going on in the U.S. the last several years in terms of society and all the issues, whether it's around politics, around around um, uh, you know diversity and 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 all the issues that we've been seeing in society. Not as much across the world, but definitely more in the U.S. and the, and the sensitivity, and that's that's really that's really uh, now reflected in, in corporate America as well. And and part of that issue is people's sensitivities or concerns of can I have certain dialogue, you know, mm-hmm. with people that you know where I'm not afraid of insulting a person or doing something that's going to be misinterpreted or misunderstood. Mm-hmm. So okay. we have to kind of we come create these. This work environment, you know, going back to creating a work environment where we have to be able to have conversations that are going to be difficult. We have to have conversations that where we can't uh, agree or or, or or need to be able to disagree. Um, so, so conflict, healthy conflict is critical, and it's happening not only not only at all levels, but especially at the executive level. And when you factor in the turnover, the foundation's trust, all right? it goes back to relationships again. Now, right? if you think about. What allows you to have healthy conflict, or allow to challenge, or disagree, or have what I call really robust, courageous dialogue, right? Because courageous dialogue means we're willing to talk about anything and anything that may actually potentially uh, be difficult, and may, a person may be sensitive to that conversation. So we have to be able to get over those 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 barriers, those those uh, those concerns, and create an environment. And it's all based on trust. Trust ultimately is. If I can demonstrate interest, respect for that person and listen effectively, but also demonstrate my viewpoint and, and do it in a way where I'm not insulting or throwing somebody under the bus uh, purposely, you know, that those are some of the specific elements to that. Um,
1: okay. And have you seen teams do things, do anything in particular that helps foster this courageous dialogue?
2: Yeah, I, and it's, it's something that people need to get comfortable with. Is, the best thing I see to accelerate that is bring an external person in. And I'm not advocating, you know, you or myself in particular, but I'm saying bring in a person that's neutral, that's not seen as having an agenda, that their whole purpose is to help create that openness mm-hmm. on what are some of the barriers in the room? What are some of the elephants that we're not dealing with? Um, do we understand each other better? In terms of our backgrounds, what's gotten to us there's a lot of great exercises and tools to how do you accelerate this whole concept of trust and understanding to really understand everybody in the room uh, and again, when there's so much turnover which is not helping you know some often you don't have time to get to know a person because you know, you, you know you, half of your team may be there less than six months. So how do you accelerate that understanding you know and that goes back to get out of the office you know I, I can't tell you how many offsites are happening and this is a positive where leaders, leadership teams are recognizing at all levels that, hey, I need to get out. I need to spend two days with my team and really, really get to know each other. And that's not the only thing that's happening. We're also talking strategy. We're also talking purpose. Right. We're also talking about the future. We're also willing to say, are we willing to admit that we have some cultural norms or, or other uh, issues that we're not willing to, to have changed over the past? And, and how do we address that? Um, so, so those are really, really best practices right now. And I think leadership teams are doing it well at all levels, are getting out of the office, spending two days with each other, getting to know each other, bonding, and, and having those courageous conversations around what's working, what's not working, and how do we as a team are able to make better decisions, um, challenge each other, and disagree if, if it's needed versus, mm-hmm. by the way, walking out of the room, not saying anything, and then start telling all of our pe- other people how much you disagree with that decision, right?
1: Yeah, or worse, walk out of the room, have a conversation with your direct reports about what's happening, why that's bad, what we're going to do as a result, and creating roadblocks for everybody else to actually make anything go forward. That's the worst of all possible scenarios and happening way too often, I think, at the moment. Okay, well, um, if you just a couple minutes left here, if you were giving advice to people who are early in their leadership journey, so just reaching those mid levels, trying to think about how they improve their game, what's your advice to them about what they should focus on, what they should do?
2: Yeah, a couple of things I would say, especially if you're early on, you know, find that mentor, find someone that you respect that you uh, can approach. It's gonna happen organically. Not everyone's gonna re- be receptive or respond in, in, a, in a way, often because they're too busy or they're probably mentoring a few other people. But one of the responsibilities as a senior executive, I feel very strongly about, it hasn't changed over the years, is, is our ability to develop the next generation of leaders. Mm-hmm. And very often, not just formally, very informally through mentorship and advocacy. So as a, as a, as a young leader, find that mentor, find those advocates, Learn, listen, observe, um, bounce off ideas, bounce off approaches, uh, figure out what kind of leader you naturally are. You know, self-awareness is still the foundation of any, any effective leadership. And there is no such thing as one leadership style to be effective. You know, find your voice, find your style, understand what motivates and drives you, what's your personality, what's your natural leadership style, understand what, what gets you into trouble, what happens you under pressure and stress. Um, you know, ask start asking for feedback from people, not just friends and colleagues, but peers, subordinates, um, bosses. Um so th- those are that's the advice I would give to anyone that's that's early in their leadership career. Right,
1: right. It doesn't sound like that advice has changed very much, Chuck. We would have given the same advice 30, 40 years ago. <laughs> yes, we would have. So- <laughs> It begs the interesting question of why isn't our advisor or methodology changing? Actually, I think what is changing is our ability to get to understanding what's your style, what's your drivers, um, what are other people seeing of you, what do you do when you're under pressure, all of those. I think we're better at diagnosing them, helping people understand them than we were 30, 40 years ago.
2: We are much better at diagnosing. Yeah. And much better at giving them the tools to be effective in certain situations.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think also what's good is that for the first time in a really long time, there's a healthier dialogue about stress and about how leaders deal with stress and pressure and what's good and not good about that. We, we've got miles to go yet to be really good at this, but at least it's on the table to discuss now. And it wasn't, you know, 40 years ago, we didn't even talk about it hardly.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I often talk about, you know, as a leader, you need to find, you know, those, those venues and other parts of your life, including outlets so that you can manage stress and anxiety and all the other pressures that come with being a leader. Right.
1: Right. Okay. My last question is for you more personally, which I like to ask from everybody, what takes you out of your comfort zone and how do you manage it in that moment?
2: (sighs) Wow. Um, being like a moment like this. No, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I, you know, I, I think if there's anything I've recognized uh, in my in my life and my career is how much I don't know, and mm-hmm. um, I think it's always humble to be in a situation or be put in a situation where it's okay to say I, I don't know and and I I still need to learn or I still need to adopt or even or even better, I'm wrong or I made a mistake. I think sometimes we put way too much pressure on ourselves to to get it right and to be right. Uh, and to demonstrate that we're right. And I think that this whole notion of vulnerability, which is, you know, carry, you know, definitely been, been carrying some weight and steam over the last couple of years, okay. I think is important. And I think it sets a tone. and lets people know that you're human, that you're, that you're not going you know, to have all the answers, that you're going to make mistakes, and, and to be comfortable with yourself in that.
1: Right, right. All right. Now, is there anything that you've done to get more comfortable being more vulnerable and admitting that you don't know?
2: Uh, having conversations with your people. And, and letting them know that, not, not just say that you're wrong and made a mistake or that you don't know, but that you're struggling with something, that you need help, asking mm-hmm. for help. And I could tell you one of my biggest challenges personally that I've had in, in my life and my career, you know, i have used to kind of getting to where I am by, on my own. And it's really only been the last maybe year that I've recognized that, you know, I, I, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay yeah. to say I don't have all the answers, that I need some help, I need advice, I need input from others. Um, I need to bounce something off of somebody. So asking for help is not a bad thing. Okay.
1: All right, Chuck, great conversation. Thank you for indulging my last question there, for sure. Chuck, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, how should they reach out to you? Uh,
2: Probably the best way is just go right to the website, uh, www.mcgpartners.com. They can also email me directly at uh, chuck.moller, M-O-L-L-O-R, at mcgpartners.com.
1: Okay. Fabulous. Chuck, thanks for being a guest today. What an interesting conversation.
2: Uh, my pleasure, Wanda. Thank you. Great questions. I really enjoyed our, our dialogue.
1: Uh, thank you very much. I think my highlight as I look back on this one is the notion of thinking about as a leader, what am I doing that is slowing down the speed and the quality of the decisions that's slowing or Increasing the levels and the numbers of people that need to be involved, so that are slowing down what we do and how we do. What am I doing as a leader that's keeping me from being forward-looking and externally focused? And what am I going to do as a result to make a difference in all of those, especially for the purposes of driving innovation? Those to me sound like really solid questions. So thank you again, Chuck. Not my pleasure. All right, Chuck Moeller. The book we've been talking about is The Rise of the Agile Leader. Can you make the ship shift? We hope you'll join us next week for another episode in getting out of your comfort zone. And if you like these particular advice, please check out our subscription service at outofthecomfortzone.com. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today.
0: Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.